This podcast is produced by Discipleship.org, championing Jesus' way of disciple-making. For a 10% discount on the National Disciple-Making Forum this October in Nashville, Tennessee, register at Discipleship.org and use the promotional code PODCAST. Producing this episode, I'm Chad Harrington. Today's episode is about Jim Putman's story as a disciple-maker. He tells about how he grew up as a pastor's kid. Even more, his father was a church planter. Jim started to notice the people in the churches his father led. They didn't seem like they were real. I asked Jim when he realized that he wanted to see people really live out the gospel, not just hear about it. He told me about his relationship with his father, Bill, and how he discipled Jim into the faith. You know, I grew up in the church, and so my dad was, was broken but always sincere. He meant it. But as I got older, you know, you start looking at the other people in your church, and for the most part, what I saw was it, they didn't look like they meant it. You know, I had jobs with these guys at church, you know, as a pastor's kid, you always got a job, or you go to, <laughs> you go to their houses, you know, with their kids or whatever, and you would see a completely different way of living. Mm. And so what I started to believe was my dad's crazy <laughs> because he's the only one who lives like that. Oh. My mom's crazy. Yeah. Right? He takes this way too seriously, and every, nobody else does. So, um, and then I, you know, there's a time when your dad doesn't count in your mind anyway, uh, I think for every kid. And I just came to the conclusion that if Jesus really was the Prince of Peace, if he really was who he said he was, then these people would live differently. And they don't. They're not serious about it. Hmm. My dad was, but he's crazy. And then you start adding drugs and alcohol and everything else into it. Uh, I just walked away from the Lord and did my own thing. But as I did my own thing, I was, I was destroying every dream I ever had, every relationship I ever had. As I became my own God, you know, everybody else existed for me, and that doesn't work well for relationship. I look at it, there was only one thing wrong with him. But because that one thing was wrong with him, nothing much was right. That's Bill Putman, Jim's dad, talking about Jim during that season of his life. See, he, he knew all the Bible answers, he could debate with anybody about anything. And he, so he knew a lot about the Lord, but he didn't know the Lord. And so as he got deeper and deeper into sin, and as he, he uh, suppressed the faith of his father and mother, and as he began to exchange truths for lies, that was the crisis that he had. And it wasn't until he had to face the reality of his sin and to want to be saved by the Lord and want to be repentant and want to, to try to make up to those that he'd harmed so deeply. That was his crisis. Pride kills relationship. I became dangerous to other people. They shied away from me. Um, I had humiliated my dad at every turn, and yet... He was real. My parents were real. And no matter what I did, they were going to love me. And, and, and so in my mind, this guy who I thought was crazy because he was the only one mm-hmm. ended up being the only one that showed me what, what Christ was really like. And, um, you know, when, when most everybody else, their world's falling apart, and my dad's world's falling apart, he still has hope. He doesn't give up. He, you know, when I humiliated him, he loved me anyway. And it, it, so 
then he started saying, you know, Jim, I'm not the only one. There are others. And, you know, I had a real intellectual block at that point for um, the faith because I just believed that, you know, in secular school, there is no God. Uh, you know, God's for the weak and and God's the source of every kind of uh, damage that's been done to society. Mm-hmm. And um, it's for unintelligent people. And so he starts sending me intelligent people who had good reasons to believe and were also sincere Christ followers. And so as I went down that road of, okay, there is no God, I then went to, all right, maybe there's a God. Then to, okay, there is a God, but which God? But I'm, it definitely can't be the Christian God. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. and I started studying the different religions, Buddha, Buddhism, you know, the Baha'i, Hinduism, yeah. Islam, Mormonism. You worked and, through it. Yeah. And the only provable historical religion, and I was a history teacher and mm-hmm. social science teacher, the only, the only provable religion was Christianity, historically. And um, so then I went, okay, crud, that's not good. Uh, because in my <laughs> mind, there really is a God, it really is Jesus, and there is no way he could forgive me mm. after everything I've done. And that's when my father, my disciple maker, comes back into the picture and he walks me through no, son. You know, and he would use examples of, you know, you've humiliated me and hurt me, but I just love you so much. You're my son no matter what, and that's how God feels about you. The only thing Bobby and I did right, well, there's two things, I guess. Number one, we didn't kill him. <laughs> and number two, we didn't quit. But uh, he he completely broke me when they, he, he, he said, uh, well, I'm, I'm, I've given up on your, your God, your, your Christianity. And, and I said, well, that's interesting. Uh, have you ever considered the facts of the gospel and reasons to believe? Oh, I know all that stuff from being in your home. I said, would you, if I sent you evidence that demands a verdict, would you read it? Oh, no, I know all that stuff. And I said, Jim, you're a coward. You're willing to read and believe everything else you see, but you're not willing to back up a step and see if there's any evidence for the faith of your father. And I think calling him a coward was the best thing I ever did. And so I sent him the book, and he began to read, and he began to think through, and he began to see that God could maybe forgive him for his sin and could rearrange and change his life. Hmm. I I still think, because I didn't kill him and I didn't give up, that's about the only two good (laughs) things we did. (laughs) You're listening to the Disciple Makers podcast, and today's episode features Jim Putman and his story as a disciple maker. Jim is the founding pastor of Real Life Ministries in Post Falls, Idaho, and one of the founding board members of the Relational Discipleship Network, RDN for short. RDN exists to train and equip churches that make disciples in relational environments. They started because of the large-scale demand from church leaders around the world who needed help in becoming disciple-making churches. RDN offers monthly training events from locations all across the country. For more information on the Relational Discipleship Network, go to relationaldiscipleshipnetwork.com. As you heard from Jim, his parents played a major role in his life. I actually got to know Jim and his parents personally when I spent three months doing a youth ministry internship at Real Life back in 2010. 
I got to see their relationships with each other up close and personal. It's interesting how Jim interacted with his mom and with his dad now that he's a pastor. In fact, Jim's mom, Bobby, was on staff at Real Life at the time I was there. And what the staff of the church told me is that she actually held the church together. She was the backbone. Knowing her role at the church and in Jim's life, I called Bobby as his mother to get her perspective on Jim as a disciple of Jesus. Here's Bobby about when Jim finally came around. I said, When Jim finally did come to faith when he was 22, what was he like? You know, it was interesting. Um, He came to the door and knocked on the door, which shows you how far out, you know, the relationship was gone. Here he comes home and he knocks on the door. Can he come in? Um, And uh, Bill, you know, was visiting with him and he said, "Um, Dad, I I realize, you know, what, what it's been like for me, and I really rejected the Lord, and he said, I was in a restaurant arguing with some girls and um, debating about their faith, and of course, he liked to debate, so he would be devil's advocate, he would take the opposite side, and so they were uh, disbelieving the Bible, and so he was going to you know, take the opposite side, and ended up convincing himself that uh, it really was a God. And then he came home and he and he told his dad about that. And Bill said, "Well, what do you what do you want to do?" And he said, "How what are you going to do about this?" And he said, "Well, I want to be baptized." And um, so Bill said, "Okay, when?" And Jim said, "Now." Bill said, "Okay, where?" And uh, he said, "Well, let's go down to the canal at the end of the block." And so Bill came in and got us and, and uh, the kids and I that were home, and we went down to the canal, and Jim got in the canal, and Bill slipped on the grass, fell in, floated down. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. But, you know, he, uh, uh, he was baptized, and I saw an immediate change. Um, you know, where he was argumentative before, um, he was more interested in, you know, what what was happening in his family. Um, you know, he, he cared about people. I mean, it was just like this night and day change that, um, and I think the change had really started before he came home to us. But, um, and then, you know, he was he was at college, and the next time we saw him was, um, I think, when he brought Laurie home. And which was not you know too long after that, but there was just this immediate, this just different gem, and so we could really tell that this time you know he, he was really serious. He he knew what he wanted, hmm. and he, the Lord had really acted and made a change in his life, and it's just kind of been amazing since hmm. then. Um, I always laugh and say you know when people say you know aren't you proud of Jim? Well, yeah, but I'm prouder of God because. Um, you know, what happens if you take credit for something that God did? So uh, he'll stop doing it. So I don't want to take credit for, you know, for what God did in his life. But for me, it was a relief, um, excitement. Um, you know, then it was kind of a challenge because God started using him in some some pretty exciting ways. And, you know, he'd ask us about something, and I had no clue, you know, how to advise. You know, it was just, okay, Lord. You know, what do you want me say here? And he walked me through this, okay, um, I can be forgiven. But then I said, all right, um, I'll, I'll accept Jesus into my life, but there's no way I'm going to go to church. 
Not even go to church. No, I had nothing to do with church. <laughs> How old were you when this I happened? was probably uh, 22, 23 at the time. And so I remember he called me up like three weeks later after we'd had this conversation because we lived in different towns. And he says, Jim, I got this question I got to ask you about. I don't know what to do with this. Give me some, uh, some counsel on this. And I, I said, sure. He goes, there's this family in our church that they invited me over for dinner, but they don't like mom, and so they don't really want me to bring mom. And I, I was like, What? Because my mom is amazing. If any, you're not going to like anybody, it's my dad. And I, so it just didn't make any sense to me. And he goes, well, what do I do? I go, you can't go over there. You're married. That's your wife. If they won't accept her, then they can't have you either. And he pauses for a minute. And he says, Jim, that's exactly the way Jesus feels about his bride, the church. Oh, my goodness. It just gutted me. I mean, in that moment, did you, were you just like literally speechless? Yeah. I, I was like, uh, I, I mean, he said, Jim, Jesus loves his church. And so you want to follow Jesus and have everything he's done for you. Um, you got to love his church because that's his bride. You know, it's amazing. Like, most every week he tells me something I said <laughs> that, that was brilliant. And, you know, I don't know whether I was smarter than I think I am or I don't remember it or he's making it up. <laughs> He said that you called him and said, hey, I was thinking of taking uh, Bobby over to someone's house for uh, dinner, but they, when, I, when they invited me, they said, you, you, you can come over, but Bobby can't come. And, and Jim said, well, that's ridiculous. Don't go over there. You can't do that. And you said, well, that's exactly what you're doing um, with the church. You can't have God as your father without the church as your mother. Oh, it sounds great. I must have read it in a book. Oh, I had to wrestle with that. So I, I anyway, I started going to church. Yeah. Because I was sincere about following Jesus. And, you know, I'd, I'd just been saved. And my life was radically different. Um, I was reading the Bible. I was, you know, calling my dad all the time. What does the Bible mean by this? You know, my dad became this person who walked me through it. And so I remember... Um, one day, I call him, and, and I'd been going to church, and I was just bored. I mean, the, the sermon wasn't good. The music was awful in comparison to all the concerts and all the secular music I'd been to, which I always find it humorous that Christians think your music is going to win people to Christ <laughs> because they've got their own music, and, uh, you know, it, the only people it wins is people who are bored of their music from their churches, you know, because yeah. non-Christians don't care. <laughs> but I, I'm like, this is terrible. And he said, Jim, let me, let me tell you a story. And every time he'd say that, I, if, by this time, I've caught on. There's some kind of thing he's going <laughs> to drill me with. But he said, uh, he said, Jim, a healthy pond, a healthy lake has water coming in and water going out. If mm -hmm. water's only coming in, yeah. it floods and it kills everything around it. If water's going uh, in, but not out, or in, in but not out, it floods. If it's going out, but not in, it dries up. He said, you know, Jesus is doing a work in you, and you're not doing anything with it so you're bored it's it's time for you to have water coming in and water coming out you need uh, to find a way to serve and i i said okay uh i don't even know what that means he goes well pray about it so like two weeks later i'm at this little church is a church plant and the guy pastor comes up to me and says hey uh you're the only one close to the age of youth ministry kids in our church we only have four kids would you think about doing a bible study with those four kids and immediately I heard my dad's voice in my head, you know. Uh, all right. So I started with four. Yeah. Four became eight. Eight became 15. 15 became 30. You know, it just grew. 
And, you know, as you start to walk through this, um, eventually, I mean, to make a long story short, at every step of the way, uh, my father was my disciple maker who walked me through this process of finding my place in the body of Christ, yeah. of finding relationship. And so when you ask me about discipleship, um, you know, I believe that when you're born again, you're born into a spiritual family. You, you have a spiritual father. Mm-hmm. But you also have, you're supposed to have spiritual uh, brothers and sisters, spiritual fathers in a lesser sense, Mm -hmm. who help you understand what it means to walk with Jesus, Mm -hmm. to find your place, to know what you're supposed to do. Just like a human being is born as a human, you know, you don't take them from home from the hospital, set them on the couch and say, there's the refrigerator, (laughs) there's the, right? Here's a Bible, go, you know, here's the book of life, go read this and find out what it means to be a human being. They can't read yet. Well, I, I just see so many people that have never been discipled. They didn't have any spiritual parenting, not in their own home, yeah. not in the church. So what do they become? I mean, I, I think about if my father hadn't built a relationship with me, any step of that way, what would have happened? Well, I, first I would have said, I'm not going to be a part of the church, and I wouldn't have understood the purpose of the church. Mm-hmm. I, later on, I wouldn't have... Um, I got into ministry, and it was a tough experience, and I was, you know, because ministry often is, and I was like, I'm done because I had a leader that was not ethical. Mm-hmm. And I called my dad on the phone, and I said, I think I'm done. He goes, let me ask you a question. Why do you think God moved David underneath Saul? And I, I said, I don't know. He goes, because he was getting him ready for ministry, and he put him in a tough spot like a wrestler has a tough coach who gets him ready for his matches. He said, let me tell you, if God's going to choose you, he's going to strip you down. <laughs> Cut on you. And, yeah, he's going to prune you. And God put David underneath Saul because he wanted David to know what does it look like if you walk away from God? How does it affect mm, other people? Mm-hmm. You'll go crazy. I'm going to make you king. You turn away from me, you're going to be as crazy as Saul is. And secondly, you know, you can learn as much from bad experiences as positive experiences. Do not run. Yeah. I would have run. I mean, at, at every yeah. step of the way, if I didn't have somebody investing in my life, then what would that have meant? And so why am I passionate about discipleship? Well, it's because I see all these people that are birthed into the faith. They're converted, but they're not discipled. And, and, and you know, what if you said, well, discipleship for you, Jim, is you can't call me, you can't talk to me, but you got to go to a class. <laughs> that's terrible. Right? Yeah. Uh, that's how people disciple people. You're listening to the Disciple Makers Podcast. We bring you stories of disciple makers who are making disciples that make disciples in the North American context. Today's episode is Jim Putman's story of disciple-making. We're taking a break from the story to hear more about how you can grow as a disciple-maker by joining the national conversation that's going on right now. For starters, join the discipleship.org National Forum for Disciple-Making at Long Hollow Baptist Church in Nashville, Tennessee, this October 6th and 7th. This is a two-day conference specifically for you if you're a leader of any type in the church, paid or unpaid, volunteer or on staff. Pastors and laypersons alike will learn best practices for disciple-making today. It's on a Thursday and a Friday so that you can travel from just about anywhere in the country and still make it back for Sunday. This year's theme for the forum is called Culture Shift, Back to Jesus' Way of Disciple-Making. This conference is the first of its kind because 10 disciple-making organizations will all be in one place at the same time. One of those 10 tracks is hosted by the Relational Discipleship Network, which Jim Putman helped start in order to focus on the relational nature of disciple-making. 
Here's Jim on why he's coming to the National Disciple-Making Forum. I want to see churches learn how to make disciples. Here's the deal. We got a lot of people who were converted in one way or another. We don't have very many disciples who can make disciples. So to see a movement for churches where they're, they're actually learning to make disciples who can make disciples, that can change the tide in our families, in our churches, in our country. So I want to be a part of what's happening uh, just because I want to see a movement start. And there are other organizations that can teach you how to make disciples too, and we kind of get together and share best practices, and, and we, we, we raise up a generation of people who, who train up spiritual warriors. Rather than, you know, churches where we gather people to a place to be spectators of some guy, these guys become coaches instead of players, yep. and they raise up spiritual armies that are unleashed on a community, people who know how they are disciples and they can make disciples. We have, we have more... Listen, with a very small number of people, Jesus changed the whole world. Right. God's the same God. The method works. You can't divorce the teachings of Jesus from the methods of Jesus and get the results of Jesus. Right. Let's get back to his methods. Let's create spiritual warriors. There's more than enough people to change a culture. Mm -hmm. It's right there available to us, but it means changing the way we do things. Register for the National Forum for Disciple Making at discipleship.org. Get a 10% discount if you're coming by yourself or bringing a group that's not yet registered by using the promotional code PODCAST. And now back to the story. Jim's talking about his book called The Power of Together. This book is connected to Jim's core message for the church today. The discipleship happens in the context of relationship. This value is the foundation for why they called the Relational Discipleship Network the Relational Discipleship Network. In addition, the church Jim pastors, Real Life Ministries, has planted seven churches since their inception, and these churches all focus on relationship in the disciple-making process. Here's Jim on why he wrote The Power of Together and why disciple-makers need to hear that message. That relationship is not only the context in which discipleship happens, but the substance of our maturity as disciples. Our maturity as disciples is characterized by healthy, thriving relationships. Uh, you know that I believe in discipleship and relationship. Uh, relational discipleship is something I believe in. But as I started to talk to pastors, you know, after we, we train, we do a discipleship training, you know, every month, so thousands of pastors, I started asking them, you know, what are they getting out of this conference that we were doing, and I would hear a lot that um, the best way to disciple people is in relationship, which I absolutely agree with. <laughs> it is right. right? Yep. But what I was hearing from them was that relationships' purpose is to you use it to teach people, you know, really better information, better skill sets. And while that's true, uh, a, a small group for the purpose of discipleship does help people understand the word better because you can discuss and, and in relationship you can model and, and you can debrief and you can, you know, get to know people. That's all true. Uh, but my issue was that I don't believe that relationship is just for the purpose of making disciples mature disciples, I believe that you're not mature unless you learn to be in relationship. In other words, all along the prophets are summed up in loving God, loving others. God made us to be relational, and because of sin, we lost relationship, or our perfect relationship with God, and our ability to be in relationship with others. And 
and God is a reconciler, and he's given the ministry of reconciliation. And so I guess the bottom line is I agree that relationship is the best way to make disciples, but it makes sense that relationship is the best way to make disciples because in relationship you learn to be relational. Unless you love God and love others, unless you are becoming a, a person who loves well, is known by others, and you know others, unless you are becoming relational, you are not mature. So, you know, 1 Corinthians 13 says, you can know all mysteries, you can speak in the tongues of angels and of men, but if you have not love, you are a resounding gong. And how can you love if you're not in a relationship? Yeah. And, and practically, what does that mean, to, to be in relationship? Yeah, in relationship, you confess your sins one to another. You encourage one another. You, um, you, you're known and you know others. They become a source of strength to you. You know, I, I believe, you know, what I was hearing, I guess, from some of these guys is that you kind of graduate from relationship because now you're mature. If you're mature, you're never yeah. out of relationship. It's not just uh, for the purpose of making a mature disciple. You have become a person who is known and knows others. And so the, the purpose of the book is really to say relationship is for the purpose of making disciples, but relationship is for the purpose of teaching you to be relational. Christ is a perfect picture of maturity, and he loved God and loved others. Yeah, I love how simple that is. And I remember when I went up to Idaho to do the three-month internship back in 2010, I remember I was clear about why I was going there. It was to learn real life's culture of love is what I even said is what I said hmm. because a lot of it you can't really learn from a textbook or from no. just reading the Bible in in a room alone no. it's through relationship that you learn how to do relationship yep. and what that looks like based on biblical principles and teaching that's right and and Jesus Jesus um, he didn't just preach good sermons he then gave context uh, an application to those sermons by the way he lived. Mm -hmm. So he would teach something, and then he would model it for them, and they would go, oh, that's what that means. Because again, everybody's got their own filters, their own experiences that shape the way they use words. So if Jesus just uses words up there, uh, you can take those words and then apply them to your filter and completely miss the definition of the words. But when you saw how Jesus lived it out, then you go, okay, now I understand the definition of that word as you lived it out. He became the perfect picture of the message he was giving. And so you could, you know, that's why scripture says that you are known and read by everybody. You know, it's, Paul said to the Corinthians, you know, that you are our letter written on the hearts, known and read by everybody. We as Christians are to be known for our love for one another, and we get to, and we define it. You know, in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, unless you love, you're nothing, right? Mm -hmm. But then it's interesting, in verse 4, he goes right on to say, let me tell you what love is. Because he knew if he just said love, mm -hmm. by the world's definition of love, it would be misdefined. And when, you know, the devil has no problem allowing us to keep the words. He just changes the definitions. And when you change the definitions, they lose their power. So it's interesting how in Paul's writings, he said, unless you love, you're nothing. Now, let me tell you what love is. Love is patient. Love is kind, right? But then he also said, follow me as I follow Christ. So he didn't just give them something to read. He said, you know how I lived among you. Yeah. He gave them a model mm -hmm. to follow, to go, okay, I hear the yeah. word. I see the definition on the page. I saw the definition in your life. 
that's what I'm going to live out. Yeah. Yeah. So in other words, Paul, the great disciple maker, Mm -hmm. the great missionary, he did this. He didn't just write letters from prison. (laughs) He didn't just preach and convert people. He made disciples like Timothy, who also made disciples. And he reminded them, you know how I lived among you. Mm -hmm. You saw it. In other words, so it's not just a word on a page. It's just not a nice idea. I gave you something to look at. What does Relational Discipleship Network do? Well, Relational Discipleship Network, um, it, it, we started with training churches. We have a discipleship training every month, and we started training these churches. Well, some of the churches were really serious about this, and they needed coaching. Much like you disciple a person, they needed discipleship in discipleship. And so we started investing in these guys, and as we invested in these guys, these guys became proficient mm-hmm. as church leaders. And so now we've got all these thousands of church leaders that are coming in, and there's not enough of us to do that. You know, one church can't train all those guys. But just like you raise up people who can raise up people, we now started having churches that could train them as well as we could. Mm -hmm. And so we basically started putting um, churches with proficient practitioners of leadership and discipleship. And we've created like small groups all around the country with pastors meeting with guys who are further down the road. Yeah. So we created a coaching system for helping these guys make the shift in their churches. And uh, oftentimes these pastors don't know how to make disciples. They were never discipled. They went to a Bible college class, they've sat in church, but they never had anybody spiritually father them. And so when we start talking about what spiritual parenting is and what discipleship is, they go, how do I do that if it's never been done Mm -hmm. in my life? And so what we do is, through this network, is we start to give them some pictures of what that looks like. Since Jim's father, Bill, was so influential in his life, I wanted to include here some of what Bill's learned after all these years since Jim's left home. I even asked Bill his perspective on the Relational Discipleship Network itself. The reason I asked is because Bill was a church planter some 40 years ago on the West Coast, so he brings a unique perspective, not only being Jim's father, but having planted churches in the same region a long, long time ago. When he was young, he got a hold of all the church planters on the West Coast, who were a part of what's called the Restoration Movement. Only a few people showed up, he said. His testimony provides a great perspective on what God is doing in and through the Relational Discipleship Network today. There were 11 people that showed up, two church planters, and the rest were, were wannabes. I, I guess back in the day, there might have been, amongst our tribe, 10 or 20 church planters, and it wasn't popular. It was almost like if you couldn't make it in the ministry, you became a church planter. And so I missed that fellowship. And to know how many people are involved with with the network and how we're trying to help each other and share tools and and be there at each other's back when we get discouraged and to provide uh, methods and, and, and testimonies. And, oh, I tell you, my dear brother, uh, Jim got back yesterday or this week from Florida where there are over 5,000 people involved in church planting. And the network that we're a part of is you know, my word, there's churches and networks all over this nation, and it's coming into the world, and I am just thrilled to have been a part of Plowing the Ground, but I'm so proud of what God's doing through His people, through what we're doing together. And now to close us out, here's some advice from Bill Putman, the man who discipled Jim. These are the most important lessons he's learned about disciple-making, 
and that he wanted to share with other disciple makers. I would say, number one, I, I think I knew a lot about God, but I didn't really know him. I think I preached a lot about loving him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, but I, I, I wanted to, but I didn't know what that meant. And so to say to the church planter, man, the Lord wants so much to, to, to have you really know and love him and have that be the motivation for loving your wife and your children and the church and lost people. Uh, the second thing I would say is take good care of your wife. Church planting is the most exhausting thing in the world because you're really only attracting broken people. And sometimes our marriages fall apart or become distant because we don't take time with the first sheep of our pasture. I would say concerning your family that you and your wife need to build a home, not to take care of them in the present, but to build a home for them to come home to when they quit running. Because if you're real and your marriage is real, your kids will discover all the phonies in the world and they'll want to come home. And then people will watch you, and it'll be more your life than your messages that allow people to come and stay and be a part of maturing to the place where they grow from spiritual infant to spiritual child to spiritual young adult to spiritual reproducing parent. I can't think of anything that I wish that I had done more than to really get to know the Lord better, take care of my honey, and build a home that's worth coming home to when your kids quit running. And that is the biggest sermon of my life. Bill was talking about the Relational Discipleship Network, which will be facilitating a track at the National Disciple Making Forum this October in Nashville, Tennessee. Make sure to register and join us this fall by visiting discipleship.org. You've been listening to the Disciple Makers Podcast. 